CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to Development Hell. For every horror movie that hits VOD, countless others end up DOA. Development Hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions. We're going to find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light. I am your host, Josh Corngut. I am a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada. This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Available now from Dread bad candy on halloween night in new salem radio dj's chili billy Corey taylor and paul played by zach galligan tell a twisted anthology of terrifying local myths that lead to a grim end for small town residents so if you love slipknot gremlins and horror this is the film for you bad candy is out now on demand everywhere and you can get your hands on the blu-ray october 10th Okay, so welcome back to another episode of Development Hell. Today is a little bit out of the box for us. We're touching on Sleepaway Camp 4, The Survivor. Generally speaking, we tend to have episodes about horror movies that never got made in any capacity. This one is kind of like a halfway there. So we'll get into it later on. But this film, there was about 30 minutes worth of footage. And then one day fans kind of pieced it together. And then we kind of got our hands on (laughs) what came of that. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Andy Scott. He's a horror fan. He's a filmmaker. Uh, We're really excited to have him for this episode. Andy, can you introduce yourself for the Development Hell audience? Uh, Hey, I'm Andy. I use he, him pronouns. Aspiring horror director. Um, I also direct for the stage uh, developing new work and also doing some like regional work like musicals and plays oh my gosh I, I i did clock that there was theater on your resume but i i love that okay so in the world of theater like what's your first passion are you a performer are you a writer who are you i'm a director oh um, my goodness. yeah um really my main passion is working with playwrights and trying to get their play to a place where you know they think it should be you know yeah like you know we're always kind of chasing the the grants and the residencies (laughs) to you know make things happen um it can be a slow process i mean that's kind of its own kind of development hell i bet Um, (laughs) yeah and so yeah i like to direct i really like to direct you know um bizarre stuff stuff that really comments on the current moment uh, I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast, although I probably have, is I went to theater school with the intention of sort of going up through theater before eventually pivoting to film. And so when I hear about people still 
being able to succeed and thrive in the world of theater, I get a little sad, a little jealous. Like that could have been me, but it's not. Oh, I mean, like it's an uphill battle. And (laughs) I, you know, like in, it's kind of cool that I've broadened um, my horizons to TV and film because Mm. now I kind of feel like I'm empowered to do it all. So I definitely recommend that if you feel like you're in a box, like just give yourself the chance to like do something a little bit different. It really informs everything you do. I like that a lot. And, you know, coming from uh, a theater training myself, like it all, it all works everywhere. Like if you, your creative talents are going to move from one space to another with you, you, as, as Andy said, you don't need to be in any kind of box. Do you ever do scary theater? Do you ever do like, and no one ever, ever does really, but do you ever do horror theater or horror adjacent? I really like the idea of horror theater. Um, And I, (laughs) I, I do want to have an opportunity to do that. The closest thing I've done to horror is this play called Aphrodisiac. Mm. And it was about these two siblings that were trying to figure out what the um, what happened to this woman that was sleeping with their um, father. Um, and it was like a White House intern. Um, and so throughout the play, they kind of take on identities and kind of play role play with each other to in order to kind of uncover what happened. And it kind of does like go into horror territory just because of the way that they adapt identities and really flesh out like what happened to this woman? Like, did our father kill her or not? Um, so that's kind of the closest thing I've directed to like a horror play. Um, but there are some really great ones out there that I mm-hmm. really love to get my hands on if you could and look um, i apologize everyone at home we will get to the subject matter but if you could adapt let's say hollywood was like okay like you, you can't make your spooky indie play but we'll let you like adapt an existing ip to the stage have you ever thought yeah. about what it would be yeah i think suspiria i think something oh, oh, oh. that the Suspiria, uh-huh. like Maybe something that kind of is somewhere in between the original and the and the sort of mm-hmm. uh, what do you call that a remake? I don't know. If I it guess, is. yeah. But I think like there's a there's a space for it to be operatic. Like it's like somewhere in between, like a hybrid between a ballet and an opera, and then just to really like lean into like the body horror of it all. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, and I've also felt the same way about Mother. I think that movie was meant to be like an opera. I've never seen it, but from everything that I've heard. Oh. I would believe it. Yeah. You should oh, watch. I, oh, I love that. I've always kind of thought Stephen King's stuff would be good for the stage. And I know a lot of it has gone there, but I haven't gotten. Okay. Are you a Stephen yeah. King person? Do you like Stephen King? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And um, I, I I live in New York. I was here when um, Misery was on Broadway and I uh-huh. was like strongly discouraged to not see it. But I oh. really did want to. I really I, I would want to see it too. Although I wouldn't want to see a bad version, which I'm, I hear from your friends that that could have been but yeah there's a Stephen King short story that I think would be really great for the stage which is called Mrs. Todd's shortcut about a lady that likes to like find shortcuts on her drive around town oh yeah so that's my answer I talk about that short story at least once out of every three episodes so I probably just lost a bunch of listeners but that's okay (laughs) okay before we get into the topic because we're going to very very soon I just want to talk about maybe your your film aspirations for a second because I was able to watch one of your short films online and I was actually really impressed. Will you talk to us a little bit about that project and where you are in the world of filmmaking? Oh, sure. Thank you. Yeah. So the the film um, Call It a Witch Hunt was inspired by Trump's misuse of the term witch hunt. And that really <laughs> did kind of like spiral towards um, 
a sort of like a workplace at comedy, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. It, it depends on whether or not you find it funny. But yeah, we follow these three women um, through like just a, you know, a normal day at the office and they may or may not be witches and mm-hmm. they may or may not look like women from the Salem witch trials. I don't know, kind of open to interpretation. My friend Kate and I put that film together. We shot it all in one night. Like we were both like very new to the whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. But we kind of like rented out that office space you see in the mm-hmm. in the film and we kind of just like slapped it all together. And it was a really great learning experience for me. And it was screened at like a couple small festivals. Where? Yeah, it was at the Quiet City Film Festival. It was okay. like it was its first year actually of screening. Mm-hmm. That was in Brooklyn. Cool. Um, yeah, and then a few like there's of- a range of, of different festivals <laughs> yeah. out there. But I I really liked it. I, for me, it kind of felt like a horror film. Like it definitely was funny, and I picked up on the comedy beats. But it felt like a I don't know like, like yeah. a nice horror cautionary tale to not be a a dick. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people watch it and they were like, when are you going to expand this into like a series? And I'm so daunted by that. And I was like, I don't know. But it was just kind of a nutshell of an idea that, yeah, and it was great to put it together. It's really promising. At the end, I'm going to make sure you tell everyone exactly where we can watch that if you're comfortable with it. Yeah, of course. For now, uh, in case anyone's forgotten, we are going to be talking about the Sleepaway Camp franchise, but specifically... We're getting into Sleepaway Camp 4, The Survivor, which was kind of made, but kind of not made, but also released on DVD in 2012. Uh, but before we get there, before um, which, you know, I, I swear we will, I want to start with talking about the first Sleepaway Camp, the one that started it all. Oh, boy. Do you have any, like, overall feelings? Like, what's your overall very vague relationship with this franchise as a whole? Well... Yeah, I do. I it, well, so I I was not from a horror family. My my parents really didn't like horror, and I was also you know I I also kind of scared myself into not liking them. And then I think like <laughs> there was kind of a big like switch at some point. We got that Netflix DVD subscription. I'm definitely aging myself, but I don't know if you remember. that. I celebrate that. I celebrate it for both of yeah, us. Yeah, right. Those DVDs coming in the mail. So that was when I kind of like took it into my own hands, like giving myself the chance just to like watch things by myself and explore, you know? So I I think sleepaway camp came along after like so many other like staples like Halloween and Friday the 13th and stuff like that. So it came as a shock because like there isn't really an iconic villain at the center, like Mm -hmm. unless you, you know, unless you want to capture that in the last 30 seconds of the movie. Um, and like the like it was just disarming it, like because mm-hmm. there, there's a flashback to the gay relationship and you know and yeah. it's yeah so it was kind of like a shock to the system for me yeah there's like there's some i don't know if any of it's like positive gay visibility but there's some neutral gay visibility in the first one which is interesting and then of course there's a lot of very toxic destructive queer themes that i think we'll we'll get to yeah um so which of these movies have you seen other than number four? I've seen the first one and I've seen number four and then two and three. I just like did a binge watch of like clips. Nice. Um, yeah. Have not, have not watched the full, the full two and three, but okay, I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't like, seen yeah. either. I have not oh, seen okay. two and I haven't seen three and I felt a little bad about it, but something we're going to get into fairly soon is that the fourth one is basically just a clip show <laughs> getting into yeah. the, uh, the events of the first three films. So I, I actually thought it, it turned out kind of to be a perfect 
a seminar on the franchise. So do you do you remember the very first time that you saw the first film? You said it might have been fairly recently because it was Netflix DVD era. Yeah, so during the Netflix DVD era, I think I was probably 15 or 16. So um, that would be over 10 years ago. Um, and oh, yeah. yeah, just kind of in that, you know, like just came in the mail. It was from the list, from the queue. And yeah, it arrived and I just popped it in. So Were you already aware of the ending before you no. watched it? Oh, no. really? You weren't? No. Well, that's yeah. a gift, kind of. Yeah. Or maybe a curse. I don't know. So shocking. And I kind of remember thinking, like, am I, like, did I, f- like, you know how like, you fall asleep watching a movie and you think, like, <laughs> you're dreaming watching the movie? Like, because it's that, like, bizarre. I that, know what yeah. you mean. I showed right. it to my best friend, Jules, who's Juliana. She was on the first, last two episodes of this podcast. Yeah. And she, we kind of, it, listen, neither one of us know what Uncanny Valley means, but I will tell you that that image and that face and that, like, kind of fake person gave us the un- uncanny v- valley vibe you're right eerie creepinesses because it doesn't feel quite human <laughs> and it's very it's strange yeah because i mean it's a mask right yeah that, it's that got face. it's got to be but it's right. a mask of that of that girl's face it's it's so weird that ending yeah. from the first movie um we kind of brought it up a little bit but queerness in let's just say the first film how do you feel like queerness is presented do you, do you feel like it's all bad? <laughs> is, it, is it all just ooey? Or is there anything well, else sort of in there? I do feel like the queer horror community has kind of taken it back and, you know, and made it what it, like as its own. But, like, for sure, it definitely smells like Reagan. Um, mm-hmm. There's, yeah, it's just, it's gay panic. It's transgender panic. Uh, Huge all over it. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I actually read... Gosh, I need to look up the name of the author, but mm-hmm. there was a actually there was a writer on Dread Central that made a good point that, um, you know, if, if we force someone to like live as how they don't identify, then yeah, that is gonna you know damage their identity, and that's something that you know we're still coming to terms with, you know, at, in the queer community. That oh yeah, so um, I'm not articulating this well, but it can be dangerous to like. Um, I don't know, destroy someone's identity or to make them like, I don't know, hold it, like hold it in or restrict it because it's just not healthy. You have to, we have to be who we are. So I kind of feel that. Uh, How do we feel about Angela as a, as a protagonist, antagonist, actor, character? How do we feel about Angela as an entity all, all around? Yeah. I mean, a sympathetic character um it's kind of it's kind of relentless the way that she's bullied um, i mean she is annoyed like she, yeah. she she's not helping herself though i feel like in some cases i mean obviously yeah. these bullies are heinous evil homophobic monsters but sometimes i'm just like just you can talk because when they lift you up you talk so what's going on angela like right yeah give, <laughs> figure this out for me uh, yeah, she's very paralyzed. <laughs> yeah, even though you could tell, like that actress is like, n- she gives me neurotypical energy. You know, she's like not pulling mm. off the the role so great, but that's okay because I don't think that this film needs to pull off the Academy Awards. Right? Yeah, I don't think that was the plan. <laughs> no, um, Martha Thomas was a character played by uh, Desiree Gould. She was the 
is the aunt or the mom at the very beginning. Do you remember, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. That's, yeah. She's, she's camp. That yes. Is, it's that defini- is definition camp. camp. It's, right. it's incredible. Like it, those segments are enough to make the movie worth its salt. Really? Right. When I was, I don't, I'm, I don't know if this is problematic or if other people share this opinion generally, but I, when I was a kid and I saw it for the first time, I thought, oh, for sure. And this is before the end and everything. Like, I remember the first scene with her, I was like, well, that's got to be a trans woman. And I know it's not, but I always I always just assumed it was. And then the ending was like, so then it like really didn't make sense. How? Yeah. So Interesting. I love Martha Thomas and I wish her, I wish her peace. Yeah, no, I thought, I think it's hilarious that she kind of asks herself questions and then immediately answers them, doesn't even give anyone else a chance no 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 she doesn't so like, to do we, that we can't have that can we no we can't like that kind of thing it's like, okay <laughs> it's so weird it's like yeah. one of those like animatronic like carnival characters right. uh have you seen troll 2 i haven't i have not <laughs> there's a lot of similar acting in that where it's like it's not good but it's so like committed and it's it's very right. strange and i i love it a lot i wonder what inspired that well i wonder what inspired that character but also that actress like where what, like, what were they pulling from? I don't know. Maybe she was supposed to be dreamlike because those those segments are kind of liminal kind of feeling. Right. But I, I, I couldn't tell you. It, it's a choice. And it's a choice that I, I'm okay with. Yeah. And it's sad that Angela, well, Angela slash Peter, like, they, mm-hmm. they have to go live with Martha, you know, the, yeah. the aunt, given that they do have, I mean, I, I, this is based on my interpretation. I'm not totally sure, but like they do have another parent. Oh, right. Cause and it's, gay dad is alive. No, gay dad's dead. Mom yeah. But then alive. the, wait, the mom. So I, I, I don't even know how to even process any of this because <laughs> yeah, the parent, it seems that the other parent is the man watching them on the beach. So there was two dads in that opening scene kind of. Or, or yeah. it was the dad and the dad's partner, and they were with the dad's partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. Okay, okay, I, that makes sense. I could be misremembering, but I don't even know if I see a mom in the picture. I thought the mom. They're like maybe mom's hmm. coming. I don't. I really don't know. Yeah. I shouldn't even be guessing because I just don't know. Right. But I, yeah. one of those those men were were a gay couple, and one is the dad. We know that, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. I believe the one that dies. Is, is the like father. their biological father? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That makes that's my guess. People are probably mm-hmm. screaming in their car because they know the truth. But <laughs> yeah, that would be my guess too. Which means if our theory is correct, which it may not be, the mom may still be alive. Mm. And it, it there's no way that Martha Thomas is the mom, right? It is the no, aunt. No, she's definitely their aunt. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And she's the one that dresses. You said Peter up as a girl. Yeah, because she's right. like, her logic or lack thereof is like, I already have a son, so why should I have another? Exactly. I need a daughter. Yeah, it's just like, what? You have to even <laughs> it out. I get it. Um, No, it's not It's not ideal. But yeah. she. But listen, any choice she makes, I have to stick with because she's my favorite character. <laughs> um, So I was going to get, I was going to ask you straight up, like, how do we feel about trans identity in the first film? But I don't think, uh, I think I know. I don't know if you would surprise me with your feelings, but do we want to touch on it for half of a second? Like how the first film uh, treats trans, trans people, trans identity. Mm, I know. Yeah. I, I don't think it's giving 
trans identity a, a good light. No, um, no, 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 no. But you know, but again, I've re- I've read so many you know articles by trans and non-binary writers that have you know taken it back from the man, mm-hmm. you know, the the you know not the real man, but the man man, mm-hmm. the figurative man. Yeah, the figurative man, and you know, kind of have been able to embrace it as their own. So for mm-hmm. that, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like the whole the movie is a who done it right it's very like agatha christie yes. like who like <laughs> who is to frame it as agatha christie but yeah i hear you <laughs> it's like who is this killer and yeah. then suddenly we're also forced to like understand the why of it too so it's like oh it is like so who done it it's angela but why did Angela do it? And it's like, oh, like it's why, so like, yeah. forced. Like, why is why did Angela go raving mad and kill a bunch of people? Like, what right. could it be? Oh, I guess it could be because she's right, or like just experiencing some kind of gender dysphoria. Right. Yes. Right. That's true. It's it's, it's like the 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 jump to the jump of logic is like alarming. It's not good, you know. And <laughs> yeah. I I need to be doing more more homework about trans representation in media. But like any good gay, I did watch Disclosure, and they did they did a good touching on the whole you know the 1980s portraying trans women as right. like murderers for some reason, constantly like in what is it Dressed to Kill? Oh my god, even the name. Um, yeah for the roman polanski yeah yeah so like i guess that was a thing we were like careful they'll kill you right yeah and that must have been somewhat informed by psycho right oh my god of course sleepaway camp two and three though i haven't seen them but after having watched sleepaway camp four i do kind of feel like i have a good sense of of what went down in those movies are you familiar with who plays Angela in these films. So I, that this is one of the things that I learned on the deep dive. I was like, Bruce Springsteen's sister. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Angela Springsteen. And I mean, she's not bad. Is she? No, I, I mean, yeah. I kind of liked her. I find her hilarious. I love her like uh quippiness. Like they give her that Freddy Krueger quippiness every time she kills someone. Yeah. There, there's that scene, which they reuse in part four. Where she's like trying to give some teen girl the benefit of the doubt and like may not kill her. She's like trying to give someone a second chance. And the girl's just like, fuck you, I don't want your second chance. And so she just goes into the back seat and she's like, What are you getting? And Angela comes back and she's like, a drill, and then just kills her. Right. So funny. Very yeah. funny. Yeah. Um, although very homophobic. I remember watching a bit of Sleepaway Camp 2, and they do the whole like teens sitting around the campfire at the beginning sort of telling the, the like the origins of jason kind of a moment yes and they definitely like use language like and then they chopped off the guy bits threw her into a loony bin and then she went crazy and i was killing everybody and i remember at that point i had to turn it off because i was like the first movie's transphobic but this is like yeah. violent yeah you've seen you've seen clips anything that stands out to you from sleepaway camp two or three Definitely the grill. And then also there's one, there's a moment where it's like, let's see what's on TV. And then she moves aside and behind her is revealed like a TV with like a broken in screen and like a dude's cut off head is like inside the TV. That's good. That's, that's cinema. She was very proud of her, of herself. Of her bit? Yeah. Yeah. Let's see what's on TV. And she moves aside. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's good. I love that. I mean, for me, it was definitely, and they showed it, it was the drill scene from the back seat, or like the pulling her up the the flagpole. She like hooks some girl to the flagpole. Yeah. And, and like brings her to the top and then drops her and she dies. It was ins- right. insane. I right. And then also I was unclear on the lawnmower murder. Like oh, the person yeah. that was, their head was sticking out of the ground and the, uh-huh. the lawnmower was like driven over. Like I was unclear <laughs> if that was from a former film or if that was like a deleted scene because I had know, no idea at any point what was from an old film and what was from the current film. Cause I walked away from watching Sleepaway Camp for the survivor only confident that about five minutes of what I had seen had been new footage which is basically just the girl on the dock, like looking pensive. <laughs> so I I really was not sure. Um, it starts off with that scene of like, there's this gross old guy and like a hot young girl having sex in a tent. And then yeah. Angela in a blonde wig, which I guess is from number three, because she is, has a blonde wig on that poster, like beats them up with a stick. So I thought for sure that was from the new one, but no, I'm pretty sure that's number three. So it's very like um, puzzle piece. number four if you've seen it yes yes and number four i watched last night um (laughs) wow yeah so overall relationship with number four having fresh eyes to it what's what's your 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 introduction how you feel generally speaking with sleepaway camp for the survivor yeah well so one thing that I was taken to immediately was I I remember like I suddenly had this like memory of how it, back in the 90s, and maybe they even still do this today, there would be like episodes of TV shows that would kind of like, I guess what they call them clip shows, where instead of like a um, a full beginning, middle and end, mm-hmm. they would kind of be, it would be like the characters like reminiscing and yeah. they would kind of flashback. Oh yeah. It would be like a clip of a former episode. They, oh, for sure. Was, yeah, I the I guess like could you call them a bottle episode? It was something like that. I no, was you like, called it a clip show. I, the Simpsons had tons of episodes making fun of that, but also just doing it. Where it's yeah, just like every season, sure. they to save on budget, you just have an episode that's mostly just slapping together best of scenes from other episodes with a theme, being like, "Oh, remember that Halloween?" Yeah, right. and that's what this movie was. Yeah. So when I was watching, like when I was watching the beginning of the movie and when it was very clear that, you know, a clip from a former film was being, you know, wedged in there, I was taken back to that, like that disappointment I felt when I like sat down, turned on the TV and it was just like a compilation of former episodes. Yeah, it's exactly what it felt like. Yeah. And honestly, I was grateful because I was wondering, like, do I have to watch two and three for this episode? Is it morally correct if I if I don't? And then it for the first at least hour, it's just a stream of clips from the first two movies. And now I feel like I've seen um one, two, and three, even though I have seen one. So I'm grateful to Sleepaway Camp 4. I'm wondering if the DVD that was eventually circulated and released in Blu-ray in like 2012, I wonder if there's more footage on that than what we were able to scrounge up. From what you saw, like what would be your guess of how how many minutes of new footage you saw on on that version? I think of this, I'm pretty sure the movie I watched was 75 minutes. And I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure like eight minutes of it was was like new yes that that would make sense 
if I can make a guess, like I, I do genuinely feel it was under 10 minutes. That... It had to have been under 10 minutes. Yeah. And the funny thing is that I feel like it was the beginning and the end. Like I don't. Uh huh. The... Yeah. Definitely the beginning and definitely the end. Like she's getting attacked by that guy. I found it incomprehensible to be honest, like exactly what was happening. Can I read you right now, like a general logline for yes. Sleepaway Camp for the Survivor? Okay, so 10 years after the massacre at Camp Arawak, and four years after the massacre at Camp New Horizons, an amnesiac named Allison Kramer embarks on a voyage to discover if she is the infamous murderer Angela Baker. Yeah, okay, I mean, sure. <sighs> yeah. That adds. I, I, I would say that that is what that movie kind of was. Right. And, and I guess I, she just watches the first three films as research to see if it's her. Yeah, I love the idea of being told by your psychiatrist, like, hey, you need to go, you know, go visit this place where you were allegedly almost murdered. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay. And then she shows up. And then literally the first thing she decides to do is like strip down to a bikini and sunbathe. And I'm yeah. like, wait. <laughs> You have to take advantage of of the day and of the sun because right. you do not know when you're going to have like a good stretch of sun sometimes. And I, I actually do relate with that. So you have to take advantage of it. <laughs> and she is sunbathing for a, a good a good percentage of that eight minutes that we are describing. Right. And I guess like it's very reflective. I think it is like I think it is giving her a chance to ponder, but it's also like very mm-hmm. male gaze. Oh my god. I mean like these movies are just the grossest examples of like disgusting male gaze in horror. They're basically porn. Like they're very close to porn. Like um can I give you a little like information on the creative talents involved with Sleepaway Camp for the Survivor? Yes. Gosh. Okay, so it was directed by Jim Markovich and written by Tom Clohesse. It was produced by Double Helix Films Rainbow Productions, who did uh, two, three, and attempted to make four. Uh, it starred Carrie Chambers as Allison Kramer or possibly Angela Baker. Um, I kind of asked you what this viewing experience was like. Did you like it? <laughs> was this was this was this watchable? Uh, I did not like it. Um, <laughs> yeah, me neither. I. It, it's very disorienting. Yes. Yeah. It's like the way it's like the the literal way that it's cut is is um yeah it's nauseating. It's like it's, yeah it a little bit it's right like yeah it's very erratic inception yeah, yeah. yeah it's very inception <laughs> yeah this definitely inspired um Christopher Nolan's Inception. Well, it does have. It does have a little bit of memento energy, and you couldn't tell me that it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it made no sense. I never knew what was happening. And because I haven't seen two and three like a fool, I was always like a little confused to when we were in flashback versus when we weren't. Um, but it, uh, it is a staple of like development hell stories in the world of horror because it's one of the few examples of a movie that got partially made and then disappeared and then due to fan demands kind of got like Frankenstein sutured back together. So plans for Sleepaway Camp for the Survivor did kind of start up in 1992 as uh, Sleepaway Camp 2 and Sleepaway Camp 3 were both sort of successfully produced by Double Helix. 
So this sequel did end up um, getting canceled partway through production due to Double Helix Films going bankrupt in 1992. Uh, The film was abandoned with only a little bit more than half of an hour actually shot. So out of that half an hour, we're not even totally certain what made the cut of the eventual release. But, or I guess at the time it was fourth, but now in canon, I guess it's fifth film put together called Return to Sleepaway Camp. And rabid fans online, when that was sort of in rotation, were able to find the 34 minutes of Sleepaway Camp 4. And that's when the movie got pieced together into its initial DVD run in 2012. I could be wrong, but I also believe that the 30 minutes or so of footage were released as a special feature on the Return to Sleepaway Camp DVD or Blu-ray. A certain John Kleiza hunted down the footage and worked with the original director, John Markovich, with a new editor to finish the movie. Have you seen... You said no, because I think neither one of us have seen Return to Sleepaway Camp, right? No, and that's the most recent one, right? It's the most recent one. I don't. I think. Um, am I going to get this right? Felisa Rose. Do I know, am I saying that name right? She's the star. She plays Angela in the first film. I believe she returned for that installment. Oh, I know. So I kind of want to watch it. I did read that she turned down the role of Angela for the second film because she just didn't think she could like handle the camp of it all. Oh really? Yeah, she was like didn't feel like she could do like the comedic. Like, really? You know. So that's yeah. why they recasted her. It's too bad because she's such a she's like such a famous icon now for the franchise. Kind of would have been nice to have some consistency, but that said, Springsteen kills it. I think anyway. I mean, not you're not wrong. So do you think this means that Bruce Springsteen has seen Sleepaway Camp two and three? Maybe like on the tour bus. He was pretty busy during this time. Like I was don't this, know. Yeah. <laughs> was this peak Springsteen? No, that probably was seventies, eighties, or at least. Oh, 80s. we're still in peaks. We're, we're still, still in peaks. We're still in peak yeah. springs. Okay. It'll never end. Never That's end. That's true. I mean, he's I, he's still doing good. He, yeah, I mean he has a Broadway show. Oh wow. Yeah. Nothing more American. Nothing more American than a Broadway show. Yeah. Oh, well, good for you, Captain America. I'd like to I'd like to believe that he's very supportive of his sister's film career, and that he was yeah. at the premiere, at least for number two, um, which I like. Do you remember the poster for the second one? If not, I can paint a picture for you. Uh, no, I don't. Okay, so the poster for the second one always intrigued me a lot as a kid because, okay, it was one of those video boxes, like, in the horror aisle that, like, I had to visit every time. Because on the cover, you see Angela. I don't actually think the model on the cover is Springsteen, but I could be wrong. And she's just, like, in the woods with a big backpack on. But attached to the backpack is, like, Jason's mask. And also coming out of it is Freddy's glove. And it's like, oh, like, you think those two are scary. Wait till you meet Angela. And I was like, damn, Angela means it. Wow, and they were able to do that? Like, there's no copyright issues with that? That was my question, because in Sleepaway Camp 4, they do get to the segment where, like, the two teen boys are trying to prank, I think, Angela to scare her. And one dresses up as Freddy with the knife hands, and one dresses up as Jason with a machete. Yeah, and then she pulls, like, a Leatherface look, right? 
Oh yeah, she does. Yeah, and she has. Like, yeah, she does. And I think she kills one of the kids with the Freddy claw. Am I wrong? <laughs> oh God. Yeah, yeah, that does sound right. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. It's been less than twenty four hours, and I, I feel like I've already blocked some of it out. <laughs> it's it's like, um, it's like yeah, it's it, it it is not. I feel like it's not good for your brain. This movie. It's definitely not like helping. But I I know. I, no, I, I listen. I enjoyed the. I don't know because I watched it in three segments. The two segments of forty-five minutes, I, I didn't hate it, although I was very confused, and it didn't help that the version I watched was mirrored, like for some reason. So, like, yeah, like the intro text was like completely on mirror, so everything must have been like kind of backwards. So, so, like, I guess that's kind of a metaphor for what the movie was like in general, right? But it. It, like, does give you a headache, kind of. It's like trying to read something too far away when you're not wearing your glasses. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to run us a little bit further into the cursed history of the Sleepaway Camp 4 production. Yeah. So it was completed officially 20 years after initially being filmed and abandoned. And they used the footage that they shot to make a trailer um, they, I believe, filmed a couple of new scenes and additional narration was added to tie the clips together. And so eventually they did re- release this on DVD in 20- 2012 and then again on Blu-ray in a limited release in 2018, which is amazing. Are you in the States, Andy? I am, yeah. I think, if I'm not mistaken, this mother is on Amazon Prime in, in uh, oh. America which is very wow. funny to me. In Canada, <laughs> if you go on like Just Watch for America, like there's a few options, but I'm in Canada and you go on Just Watch wow. and it's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like we've never heard of this movie. That's right. What the, that's what the page said to me. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that's like a pretty, um, pretty basic rundown on why this movie took over 20 years to get made. Something that's kind of interesting is that Return to Sleepaway Camp actually was officially released before Sleepaway Camp for the Survivor. So what, like, would you consider this? So, And this movie officially did come out after Return to Sleepaway Camp. So do you see this as the fifth film in the franchise or does this still stand as the fourth? Hmm, that's a good question. You know, um, I feel like we're living in the age of like it doesn't like you know the fact that you mm-hmm. know we jump from seventy eight Halloween to eighteen. Yeah, we're, we're on Halloween two part three, right? And we don't, and I guess we're kind of told to not acknowledge like the other Halloween movies yeah, from like we, the nineties, which is so which is rude. Yeah, but I, in some ways I like it, but in other ways it's like for the average person, I like yes, I. I like worry for them um but <laughs> I, I generally worry for the average person so i agree with you <laughs> right yeah but um i so i don't know like if it, i'm trying to think from the perspective of like a diehard sleepaway camp fan um, which they're out and, there i i'm sure you've noticed in your are. research that they they're there they're thriving they're out there because i mean without them i don't think this would have been made Definitely not. Definitely not for like what 80 grand or whatever it took to make it, but still. Yeah. I think I'm going to say that this is the fifth film and I really hope like 
a sleepaway wow, camp. Wow. Like, They're going to come for you soon because soon yeah. I'm going to make you say your Twitter handle. Um, <laughs> yes, sleepaway camp for the survivor. You heard it here is the fifth entry in the sleepaway camp films. I cannot believe there are five sleepaway camp films. Isn't that just truly right. bonkers to you? Yeah, you would never, like, based on watching the first one, just, like, by yourself when you're 15 years old watching a Netflix DVD, you would never think that <laughs> this would yeah. warrant, like... It, and it didn't. These were such yeah. garbage direct-to-video, like, exploitative kind of horror. Right. And that has its place in the world. I can't say that it doesn't. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I just wish it wasn't as like brutally, violently, hatefully transphobic as it is. That's like a that's it, it's a bit of a red it's a bit of a red flag for me. For sure. But I do kind of wonder if like this would even if this movie in general would even be on our radar though without that without the transphobia of it all. Definitely not. It is the ending that has that still shocks the universe. Right. Yeah, it, it would, it, I mean, it's shocking, but like it's for possible bad that would have been right. Yeah, it's possible it would have been like lost to time if it wasn't for that. Yeah, I mean, I don't and know. maybe Again. it should have been. <laughs> I think Again, heard... I don't want sleepaway camp fans to like come for me, but I do. Oh no, they're going to. I yeah. No, if you're a sleepaway camp fan, please reach out because I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, we want to have this conversation. We want to open a dialogue with you guys. Right. <laughs> I wonder how many of you, uh, how many of them are queer. Would, what would be your guess? Would you say that like this queers would gra- would gravitate to this franchise or no? I I do feel like that the queer horror community has kind of taken it back and has embraced this for what it is. Oh my God. I Um, love it. Yeah. I think someone, um, it was one of the hosts of, oh my gosh, what's that podcast? Um, Faculty of Horror. Hell yes. Yeah. Yes. Love that podcast. I'd said that this used to be screened at a queer fear. Oh, okay. That I think is in Toronto. Yeah. Is it, is it still? I don't think it is. Oh, okay. But this used to be kind of like a Rocky Horror adjacent. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. Like, let's just embrace this for what it is. Well, the, the first film, it <clears throat> it's not on the level of the Friday the 13th movies, no. but it is a step above the sequels. It's kind of like in this, I'm going to say it again, liminal horror space between legitimate and non-legitimate, because there are some pretty... I don't want to say impressive, but like affecting or effective, effective uh, kills in the first film, like really gross, like yeah. make makes you look away kills right. and the practical effects and practical effects too. Yeah. And like memorable performances, kind of <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, the scary pedophile is memorable. Like every time he's on screen, I'm like, Oh no, it's the guy that there's a pedophile and gets melted. Right. Yeah. And he's then scary. there's that one guy who gets an arrow like shot through his like neck and it's an impressive effect for the time. Very impressive effect. Yeah. Um, the girl that gets like her entire back slashed up in the shower was pretty gross. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and I think there's one very famous one that we're forgetting. Do you know what I'm alluding to? If not, I can get into it. Um, it's uh, the, well, hair, the, 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 the curling iron. Oh, yeah, that's, I don't acknowledge that. You, it's, you know what, I, I'll i do that with you. I'm going to join you in not acknowledging that. Yeah, moment. it's, that's, that's a lot. That's, it's, de- it's beyond. Yeah. Um, but it, just like the ending, uh, seared into the psyche of our generation. Mm-hmm. Pun non-intended. <laughs> 
okay, I feel like we did well. We have all of the information for number four. We kind of know how we feel about this franchise on a whole. You as a horror fan, it, <laughs> is the Sleepaway Camp franchise like in your realm? Is this kind of your thing? Or are you more of like a criterion horror man? Um, I'm, I'm a little bit all over the place. Like I do like a criterion and I do like a campy sort of classic, but I do. Hmm. This is a good question. Like, I definitely don't think like if I were, if I were to have a collection of horror movies that I, you know, I don't think Sleepaway Camp would definitely be in this. Like (laughs) if I could only hold like an armful of movies. Uh Yes. Yes. yes, yes, I think I'd probably have to like, you know, she wouldn't make the cut sleep away camp yeah, yeah she's gotta go but what about like some of the more uh like beloved campy 80s moments like the freddies and the jasons would they make the cut oh yeah for sure i really love the i really love the first friday the 13th and they, i think the last 15 minutes is awesome like the reveal yeah, of, it's very good uh mrs Voorhees, mm-hmm. um for sure and then what else in the 80s i mean uh, yeah Gotta love Freddy. Freddy's my girl, my number one, ride or die. <laughs> my number one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. And then, obviously, there's the Michael. There's the Halloween. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Halloween is really my first love. Um, okay. I, well, that would make sense. Yeah. I'm not crazy about... Like, I just really love the first one. Um, I was just going to say, one, yeah. Yeah, the second okay. one is, you know, Halloween 2 is, you know, like, I, I think at the time when I first watched it, I was really taken by the fact that it, like, picks up right from the last. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really think prior to then I had really watched a sequel that, like, picked up right away. And so I was, like, into yeah, it's, that at the time. It is jarring. And now I think you, you, you kind of call it, like, pulling a Halloween 2. Which I oh, like. Oh, yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Although, yeah, I do kind of feel like Halloween 1, anyways, is kind of like where Criterion Horror meets meets the the, the, the franchise folk. So that's my opinion on you. Um, what if, Have you seen any horror lately that you would want to uh, give as a... What am I trying to say here? Have you seen any horror movies lately that you would want to recommend? Yeah, I feel like one horror film that's not being talked enough like talked about quite enough is possessor um it was directed by brandon cronenberg have you seen mm-hmm. it i have not seen yeah. it but i uh-huh. oh i just watched a cronenberg movie now actually but it was his dad oh well i love i love his films too oh um, really i just watched map oh, yeah. of the stars like today oh that's like a newer that's like a new movie yeah right? yeah within yeah. the last 10 years yeah Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, well, Possessor kind of is, like, I, like I, I would be interested in, like, a debate between, like, whether or not it's sci-fi or horror, but it's uh-huh. certainly scary, which is why I would kind of put it in horror territory, and it's, like, brain implant technology so that you can, like, control, you can, like, basically be inside other people's bodies, so... Cool. Um, the main character is, like, an assassin that has to take down a certain person, and but then it's kind of, like, you know once you're in somebody's body like can you truly get out like it's it really goes oh, into weird. that very cronenberg sounding actually it's very cronenberg yeah for sure um and so that's like okay cool I'll, I'll have to check that one out i do remember hearing it make a splash like in festivals if i believe but i haven't seen it yet because i'm bad so i have to watch it well it's bleak too i would definitely like save oh. a certain mood for it because like i'm not, not in the mood bad. for that actually i just watched the yeah. bleakest 
uh, Tiff movie of all time, and it, like I'm I'm oh. still mad that I watched it. It's called Silent Night with Kira Knightley. It's just too much. That's oh. my review. That's my review. I, Have you heard of it? I I wasn't aware that that was a bleak movie. I thought it was kind of like a no. oh Christmassy. Yeah, it oh. does take place on Christmas Eve. Okay, but in a dark way. <laughs> it couldn't be more dark. Okay, I don't want to give too like. I don't, uh, can I just give you a quick logline and no one will yeah. be mad at me? So a group of friends are celebrating Christmas Eve at this remote, like large estate in the beautiful English countryside. And there's this like funny collection of best friends and their kids getting together for this really nice dinner. As the evening sort of rolls on, we start to get the sense that something really bad is happening and the government has distributed like suicide pills to everybody. And we think that this group of people are planning on taking them in the morning because something like from Russia, or maybe it's going to be like a natural disaster. We're not sure. Like it's supposed to hit that night. And then that's oh. how the movie continues. <gasps> oh, I know, that, sounds good though. Right. That sounds, it does sound good. It sounds very rotten though. I just feel like in the age of COVID. I, yes, it did feel rotten because it is very yeah. post COVID. Like it feels very obviously post COVID, <clears throat> right? In a way that you said rotten, I love that. It's yeah, just, rotten. It's, it's rude. It. It's just like un, it's just like exploitative right. of of my poor my poor little emotions. Yeah, this doesn't seem like something that Kira Knightley would be like. Oh yes, let's do that. Yeah, well, you need to check in with your girl because she made me watch this movie. So got it. It's very um, mel- that's giving me melancholia vibes too. Yeah, like, yeah. Down the inevitable and. It- that's the Ugh. fucking movie. I know. I know. So I think Tiff needs to give me money or something because yeah. it was it was too much. I have to much. ask, did you see Halloween Kills? No, it wasn't at Tiff. Oh, I thought it was a Tiff. No, it hit Venice. Oh. Halloween 2018 Venice. was at Tiff. And little mm. douchey little story that I have is that I was got to go to the world premiere of Halloween. 2018 at TIFF, and I sat two rows behind Jamie Lee Curtis and her husband. That's incredible. I know, isn't that incredible? So then I hated it. Sorry, everybody. Oh yeah, no i I've heard you. I've heard you say that you. Oh, I should stop. I should stop. It's very controversial. I find so I should be. No, no, not really. It's just like. What what did you think? What did did you think? I I mean I really like it. Um I. It's Get out of here. I, I, I'm, I, hang, I hang up. No, I'm kidding. No, you know, like, it's just kind of, like, giving me... It just kind of gives me life that we get to get to see Lori 40 years later. And, yeah. like, is it executed in, like, the most amazing way? No, but I don't know. But I feel like I'm kind of coming home to someone that I love. Um, oh, well, I love that. Yeah. I just didn't love how it was nothing like Lori at all. Like that was just a fail failure to capture Lori in my opinion. Hmm. That's with all the guns, Sarah Connor. Like this is unnecessary. Right. And no scares. No, you know, I I don't need to get into my, my review of Halloween kills. (laughs) Um, And I can respect your opinion. And I do. I know I do. You're not the only smart person in the world that likes Halloween kills. It's just, (laughs) well, I haven't seen Halloween kills yet. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry. It's just hard to call it Halloween. You know, it is. It yeah, needs a subtitle, right? It's Halloween eighteen, I guess. Yeah, it is twenty eighteen, not like eighteenth movie. Although it does feel like it's the eighteenth movie. <laughs> it kind of is. I'm yeah, excited but... for this new one a little bit because I hope it goes the silly slasher sequel route. 
obviously mm-hmm. Rob Zombie's Halloween, not everybody's favorite. Definitely, uh-huh. I don't like it at all. But what yeah. I appreciate about Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 is how little it's trying and how it's just giving me that 1980s deep sequel energy of just like <laughs> weird ideas, do, going at it quickly, hopefully it works kind of a vibe. Right. I, I'm kind of going into Halloween Kills knowing that it's deliberately the second movie of a trilogy. So like, the, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, okay, let's acknowledge what's happening in the first one. Let's set up the third. Like, I, I, I do believe that there's going to be like a sandwich sort of vibe to it. Yes. This is um, the one with like the big trees, right? But you're not making it to the yeah. big eyeball yet. Did that, did that, right. does that reference land? I think, I mean, I, but also I'm just like dying to see Kyle Richards in it. Oh my God. I know. I know. I know. And we just did. An, yeah. I mean, I am too. I am too. Do you think she's going to pull it off? I mean, I think she will. I think she will um, too. How hard is this going to be? I mean, she, like, it's like, you just have to kind of like tap into like you were a little girl and you were on this like weird low budget set. And like, there are scenes where she does like, as a little girl, she was like face to face with this man in a mask. So I kind of wonder if she's able to like tap into like her (gasps) weird childhood memories. That's a cool article you should, or think piece, or I don't know what it is, but that's cool. And you should write that. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's so crazy that like 40 years later, you get the same actor to come back to play the role. And on top of that, like, of like, what are the chances that this person ended up being like a real housewife? I know. And, like, it's just I mean, fun to see her. Do I it. mean, the uh, Kim was also in all sorts of weird movies too. And if yeah. Kyle can deal with Kim, Kyle can deal with Michael Myers, right? I feel like that's, that's the, that's the truth. And you know what? Vice versa. Vice versa. Oh my <laughs> God. Put Michael in an episode of Beverly Hills. See how long he lasts. <laughs> Um, he'd probably take Erica Jane's side in this whole... Like, I would too, and I know that she's <laughs> doing terrible things to people that do not deserve it, but her <laughs> her music career is everything for me. I'm, oh really into this, <laughs> I'm really into this like UK pop like collective called PC Music, and she teamed up with them, and ever since then I was like, she can, she can kill kids, whatever, I'm pro <laughs> Erica Jane. No, I'm, not, I'm sorry, take it all back. I'm gonna cut all that out. Um... <laughs> It takes, it, what did she say when, like, someone asks her on the show, like, what's going to happen to Erica Jane? And she was like, it takes money or something. I don't know. It's, it's, like, yeah. it's too expensive. Yeah, I'm I'm sad to see Erica Jane go, I'll be honest. Oh, my God. I mean, I don't think, I, I don't really think she's going anywhere, necessarily. No, this could have been the best thing that happened to her. I, I feel like before this, yeah. people didn't care. Right. Yeah, she had this sort of cult following, I think. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> Yeah, and, I don't um, really know what she and her husband did, but it did seem like they made they did bad things to people. So they just weren't giving people their money, basically. Well, yeah. No, I can't back that up. That's terrible. Um, <laughs> um so this is our um, the end of our podcast about yes. the Real Housewives, and I feel like we did a really good job <laughs> capturing the spirit of that <laughs> franchise. Um. Okay, so in conclusion, overall thoughts. Does this need to exist? This 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 hobbled Frankenstein together fourth film. Like, does it need to exist in the world? Are we are we glad that it does? It doesn't need to exist, but I am actually really happy for the people that like fought to make it happen. Like that's pretty yeah. that's pretty iconic. 
Yeah, good for them. Horror history in the making or already made. Andy, where can you be found on the web if you so want to be found? Yes, I want to be found um, on Twitter. Uh, My handle is simply Andy Scott zero um, because, you know, regular Mm -hmm. Andy Scott was taken. Of course. (laughs) And um, I will be back on Instagram soon. I just took a little break. Right. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and by little I mean I took a break before the election and I've just been procrastinating but you will find me on Instagram soon I promise I love that listen you have to you have to hype it up you got to keep us yeah. guessing so I think you're doing the right moves yeah um, and if and you want to check mm-hmm. out yes. the, um, oh I'm sorry if you want to check yeah. out the film um, yeah. if you want to check out the film that I made that we discussed earlier that's in the little bio on my Twitter yes and you absolutely should watch it you need to go watch it I was like, am I going to watch this? I don't really know who this person is. Then I watched it and I was like, oh, this guy is severely talented. And I begged him to come on the show. And that's That's kind of, that's our origin story. Thank you. That's so (laughs) nice of you. It's really great to hear. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. This was truly, truly a gift. And for talking about this really weird, poorly executed film (sighs) that uh, I guess deserves, deserves its place in the horror canon as we've decided. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back with another episode of Development Hell. Coming soon to Dread, Val. Finn, a wanted criminal, hides out with an escort named Val, a demon. Val offers to make all of his problems disappear if he follows her rules. She has been expecting him all along, and it won't be easy to escape Val's dungeon. You can catch Val on October 5th. And on Blu-ray, November 2nd.